Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. This sermon was delivered live at our West Conway campus. Thanks for listening. How many of you are into hiking, right? You like to go up in the mountain a little bit? Cool. How about like a full day hike? Like you're hiking like 8, 10 miles, 12 miles. How many of you love backpacking? Like you're gone in the woods for like a couple of days, a couple of weeks. Perfect. When I was in the youth ministry, we would take some of our youth. I was specifically the junior high minister. We would take about 20 to 30 um, students on two week long backpacking trips all over um, the mountains, right? And for some of you are like, man, that sounds awesome, right? Being in the woods for two, three weeks. But remember, there's junior hires with you. So it's like good, bad, like you want to throw one of them out to the wilderness, but man, awesome experience, right? Some of my favorite memories are on those backpacking trips, and, and when Lucy and I got married, um, I found out that she, you know, she likes to hike, right? She, she loves hiking, and so um, we got married, and I said, man, I'm going to surprise her with a, a, a camping trip, right? We're going to go on a, just a weekend um, hiking trip. I asked my friend, like, hey, where's somewhere close? He's like, oh man, go to Mina, right? And I was like, where is that? And it's like, just go to Mina. Um, it's an easy, right, easy trail. You don't even need to wear your boots, man. It's awesome. You can um, hike camp a little bit, hike back, great trip. And so I come home from work, spontaneous, right? New young husband, um, baby, we're going camping, right? We're going hiking. And to her, um, her response was, well, what's the plan? Baby, we don't need a plan. Let's just go. So we roll up and my friend said, hey, make sure you find the landmark um, that shows you where the trail starts. Because if you miss that landmark, man, you're going to be all over the woods. I was like, all right, cool. No worries. We pull up to our campsite. It's so dark. We can't see anything. So we're searching. We're looking. Finally, we're like, there's the landmark. We know our path. We know which way to go. We wake up in the morning and listen, it is so foggy that we can't even see my truck from the tent. Okay. Not only that, I didn't realize that daddy long in the south are like this big, right? So that was, that was scary. Um, but here's the deal. We find the landmark. It's still foggy. We were like, we got this and we take off. About halfway through the trip, my friend's voice was playing through my head. This is an easy trail. You don't need your boots. I wore Nike. I think she wore Chacos that day. That was the worst trail I've ever been on in my life. I'm talking jagged rocks. He told me it was downhill both ways. I don't think that's real, right? It definitely wasn't. It was uphill every direction we were going. But we just kept saying, no, we know that this is the trail. We saw the landmark. This is the trail. After about six hours of suffering, Lucy got stung by a wasp, right? We finally said, we're done. We've had enough. We hear some cars going by. We decide to get off trail, go straight up the mountain to this road where we realized wait a minute, we went the wrong way for four, five, six hours or so. Matter of fact, I have a picture of young Donnie and young Lucy. Don't let those smiles fool you. We were crying, okay? Like this was like the worst day of our lives, right? We just got married. I was like, I'm a horrible husband, right? We tried to hitchhike back to my truck. Someone actually pulled over and we're like, thank you. We ran over and they drove away, right? Like, right, what is happening, right? I'm sure we looked crazy coming out of the woods, but... Here's, here's the why I bring all this um, this morning for you. Landmarks are important, right? Landmarks are important. And in Genesis 15, this is considered a landmark in our faith. This moment between God and Abram is a landmark of the gospel in which you and I believe in today. And if we're not careful, the landmark that we're going through is, is that we're saved by faith and faith alone. That we're not saved by righteous, our, our good deeds. We're not saved by us doing, um, being a good old boy, being a good old girl. We're not saved by going to church. 
We believe we're saved by faith and faith alone. And if we're not careful though, we can believe that, start off our relationship with Jesus with that statement, but then all of a sudden take a wrong turn and begin to believe that we have to now earn to earn our salvation or, or do good things to keep our salvation. And so this landmark passage, this landmark moment is crucial for us to always go back to just to remind us that we're saved by faith alone. And so let's pray, and I want to dig into Genesis 15. I'm super excited, so um, let's dig into this. God, we love you. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. God, thank you for just how you're moving in our church. People are, are, are getting saved. People are, are getting baptized. People are joining as, as members. And, and, and as chaotic as the transition feels, Lord, you are just doing such a good work. And Lord, I thank you for that. But God, I pray that you would um, help us to read and understand this passage, um, that we would see um, your words and what you meant it to be. The Lord, that we would also um, respond accordingly, that we would apply it to our life, that we wouldn't walk out of here just hearing a word, but that we would live it out. So God, I pray that you would do what only you can do and draw us to yourself. God, we love you. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Genesis chapter 15, starting in verse 1. This is what the word says. It says, After these events, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward will be very great. So then let me give you some context because he says after these events, here's what's going on. Remember Abram's life. Remember, he was an old pagan man living in the city of your worshiping moon. Like he was, he was worshiping all kinds of things until the moment God calls him to faith and calls him to obedience. He tells him, hey, I want you to go to the land that I will eventually tell you where to stop. And, and there, um, this, just be obedient to me, right? I will, I will bless you. I'll make your name great. I'll give you all the land and you will have a numerous amount of descendants. Your lineage is going to be crazy. That was a big deal for Abram. Remember, he's an older man. Him and his wife could not have children. And so they hear God's voice and they said, okay, we're in. And they take off, right? They find themselves in the land of Canaan, another pagan society. And the Bible tells us that when he gets there, he just gets on mission, right? Where he builds an altar and he starts proclaiming the name of the Lord amongst all of these other pagan worshipers, right? It's a beautiful moment. But what happens next, okay, is famine breaks out. And so him and his wife and, and his, his family, all of his farmers, all of the servants his, and his nephew, they take off towards the land of Egypt. Now, before they get there, um, Abram knows, man, my wife is beautiful. And he tells her, hey, if we go there, the Pharaoh's going to try to kill me to take you. So let's just tell everybody you're my sister, all right? He kind of falters in trusting God. They get there. That's what happens. He said, no, this is my sister. Don't kill me. The Pharaoh takes her and God curses, brings all these curses on them to the point where the Pharaoh's like, man, y'all get out of here. Why did you do this to us? Leave. So, so Abram, his family, and his nephew Lot, and his family, and, and all the workers and the farmers, they, they go, and, and there's some tension between the two. And so Abram says, hey, nephew, listen, I love you. So Lot, why don't you, you go whatever way you want to go. I'm going to go the other way so that we can not have beef, not have tension between us. So his nephew Lot um, heads over to Sodom and Gomorrah, that area where all of a sudden five kings see him, see all of his um, animals and farmers, and go, hey, let's take this guy. They capture Lot, and, and one of his workers, gets out and goes and tells Abram, all these kings are holding your nephew captive. Now stop. I love this moment in Abram's life, right? He's older. At this point, he's around 85, 95, around that age, okay? He hears that his nephew just got captured by five kings. So what does he do? He goes back to his own family, his farmers, his slaves, and goes, who's down to go to war? 
And the Bible says 318 of them said, I am, right? And he goes into like this action mission mode where he goes and conquers five kings to get his nephew back, right? So this, like picture this moment. Faith is on high. I mean, high on the mountaintop, fully trusting, remembering, okay, no, God made promises to me. I'm not scared of five kings. Let me go get my nephew. And so this is what's happening. And it leads to this point right here in chapter 15, where it says, after these events, his faith all of a sudden begins to struggle a little bit. Little bit. Here, here's what we know about life. This isn't true all of the time, but sometimes this is what we know about life. That those moments where you feel closest to the Lord, right? We call them mountaintop moments where your faith is strong, you see God working, you feel him moving in your life. He does a big work around you or something you've been praying for has been answered or, or you just, he uses you to do something good. You have this awesome moment with God. Sometimes, not every time, but sometimes that's immediately followed by a valley type of moment where it's hard to have faith, where life like punches you in the gut. That's where we find Abram right here where he had this experience, right? Where he got his nephew back and, and he feels close to God, right? We see that with other people in the Bible, Elijah, the prophet, where he, he went against all of Baal's prophets and conquered them all and then immediately goes into the wilderness and he's so low, so fearful, so dreadful in his spirit that he literally prays, God, won't you just let me die? So we see Abram in this moment, strong in his faith, believing the word of God, trusting in the promises, gets his nephew back. He's conquering kings. He's, he has like this swagger, and then it immediately follows to the point where he's afraid, where he's full of fear. He's tired. He's struggling. How do we know that? Because God addresses it right away. He says, don't be afraid. I am your shield. Abram, I got you. Your reward is going to be great, right? So here, here's what we need to understand, church family. Know this. You can try to fake it as much as you like. Listen, you can put on any mask that you want to put on. You, 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 can, you can walk in here with so much fear, so many doubts, so many questions, right? So much anxiety and put on the mask like, hey, I'm fine. Leave me alone. High five. Praise God. Hallelujah. Sit down. You can fake as many people as you want to out, but here's one thing. You can never fake God out. God knows your heart. He knows your mind. He knows every thought that, you, that, that, that your mind can't stop thinking about. He knows your strengths, your weaknesses, the good sides of you, the bad sides, those sides that you hope no one ever sees. He sees them all. And listen to me, he cares about you. He loves you. He wants to work through those questions, through those fears, through those doubts. But you have to get to the point where you're real with God. If you're with me, say I'm with you. Here, here's the truth where, where the, it's hard sometimes where we have faith in God, but the circumstance that I'm facing, man, is tension. And, and it's the temptation where I want to take this into my own hands. Here's what God's doing for Abram. He speaks to him. He says, man, listen, don't be afraid. I got you. I am your shield. And without Abram ever saying anything, God directly speaks to what he's afraid of. What is he afraid of? Think about the context again. He just made a lot of people really mad. He just took some janky 318 army and defeated some kings. So now all of a sudden his enemies are growing and growing and growing. And so he's afraid, right? And that's why God addresses it. Say, hey, I am your shield. 
I didn't set you on this journey for you to be your own God. I am your God. I am your shield. So he's, he's not just addressing the fear. He's reminding him of who he is, that he is God, that he can trust him and rely on him. But not only this, like what I, what I love about that moment is God tells him, hey, your reward is going to be what? Great. Here's what happens in, in the chapter 14 where he gets Lot, he defeats all the armies, right? He stands up and he makes an oath and he says, I'm not taking any of the spoils of war. I don't want any of it. I don't want gold. I don't want silver. I don't want cloth. I don't want any of it. Why? Because I don't want any of you to say that you made Abram rich. God got me here. Right? So Abram has, has at one point had this swagger with his faith that like looks at everybody and goes, no, God's got me. And now God has to remind him, hey, that's still true. I'm still God. Your reward is not treasure. Your reward is me. Like find your satisfaction, find your safety. Abram, find your comfort in me. And I, I love that where he's teaching Abram to be satisfied. We just sang about that, to be satisfied in him. Now you would think hearing God's voice, seeing a vision, right, and hearing this, you would think that Abram's faith would skyrocket again, right? That he would be swagger on, I'm ready to go conquer, let's go get more land. But that's not what we see. Look at what happens next in the following verses. Look at verse two and three. But Abram said, Lord God, what can you give me? Since I'm childless and the heir of my house is Eliza of Damascus. Abram continued, look, you have given me no offspring. So a slave born in my house will be my heir. Now, here's the moment right there where Abram is finally being honest with God. Right? That he's finally taking the mask off and he's being real with God. And what I love about this is some, some commentary, um, um, commentaries, they, they argued that, that this is a moment of almost blasphemy, right? We're like, how dare Abram speak back to God? Matter of fact, this is the first time Abram speaks to God. From this whole point of his whole journey for about 10 years at this point, Abram has just been hearing and believing and going. And now he speaks back like how dare him. But here's what I believe and what, and what I think that we see here is that it's not Abram being like testing God, it's finally the moment where Abram is real with God. How do we know that? I don't think he's, I don't think he's talking back because why? He, he still acknowledges him as Lord, as God. He is still saying, hey, I know who you are. You're, you're over everything. You're my God. You're my Lord. And so because of that, let me be real with you, God. I'm struggling. God, you're, you're my Lord, so let me be real. You've given me everything, but this is what I'm afraid of right here. Family, listen. That is exactly how God wants you to communicate with him. In realness. Not in, not in some fake way where you're pretending like you got it all together. You can't fake God. Come to him humbly and tell him, Lord, this is what's going on in my heart. And I promise you, nothing you say to him is ever going to surprise him. He's never going to go, oh, for real? I didn't know that. I didn't know you're mad at me. I was sleeping. No, God, God don't do that. So he, he has this moment 
where he says, God, what can you give me? Everything you've promised me. You promised me land. I got it. We're getting more. You promised me that my name would be great. People know me now. But the thing that you haven't done yet is you promised me a child and I still don't have it. It's been 10 years later, God. And the only thing that I have is, is my slave. That, and in that context, if you didn't have your own child, your, your slave, the next worker, um, would be the one who would inherit everything, right? And the fact that we have a name is that Eliza means that Abram loved this kid, right? He loved Eliza, but that's not his son. And so he's like, God, you've given me everything else but this. And, I, and what I love next is that what we see God do is he responds again to, to Abram. But what we don't see is God like criticizing him or hating him. We don't see him going, boy, why don't you get this? Like, look at what I've done in your life, Abram. Matter of fact, I want you to see how, how God responds because it's, so, it's just so good. Look at verse four and five. Now the word of the Lord came to him. This one will not be your heir. Instead, one who comes from your own body will be your heir. He then took him outside and said, look at the sky and count the stars if you're able to count them. Then he said to him, your offspring will be that numerous. What a sweet moment between God and Abraham. What, what a, a moment of amazing grace between a God and a human, full of fear, full of doubts, and a little bit of faith, where God meets him again, not with disappointment, not with hate or, or judgment, but with sweet grace. Remember, God promised him that your descendants would be numerous, that they would be so many that, that we wouldn't be able to count them. And he says that that's going to come through, not, not, not Eliza, Abram, I promise you, that's going to come from your own son. That's going to happen through you. So what is God doing? He's giving him no more doubts. He says, man, old man, old man, like, listen, you guys will have a child. And then he takes him outside and tells him to look into the stars, gives him a visual of his promise. What, a, what an amazing moment. In other words, what God is telling Abram is, Hey man, I got you. Have faith in me. Now, now here's where things get real for us, okay? Um, sometimes it's easy to have faith. Other times, faith is the hardest thing to have. Amen? Can we be real? Take your mask down for a moment. You're right, right? You look good. Take it off. Sometimes faith is really easy to have. And in other times, faith is the hardest thing to hold on to. And what God is doing here is he's showing Abram, you can trust me even when faith is hard. You can trust me, right? Because what happens is when faith gets really, really hard, we have the temptation in our flesh to try to take matters into our own hands right? Where, where I trust you, God, with my soul. I trust you with my salvation. But with this little area, I'm, you're not doing anything. I've been praying for this area and I haven't seen anything happen yet. Therefore, I'm just going to take it on myself. I'm going to handle that and do something on my own. That is the temptation that every single one of us face on a daily basis, if we're being real. So how we respond to this moment, that tension matters. I want you to see how Abram responds. Look at verse six. This is where the landmark verse comes from. Verse six, Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Without any words from Abram, what do we see the Bible say? That he just said, okay, I'm in. 
He looked at the stars, right? He heard God's voice. God met him where he was at, and he simply had faith. He believed. One commentary I read this week um, said that um, how that Hebrew is written, it's written with the idea that he believed and then walked in that belief. For from that moment on, he said, okay, I'm going to trust the Lord. Whatever it leads me to, whatever, whatever comes my way, I'm placing my faith and my trust in God and his word and who he is and what he has promised me. Here's what Abram didn't put his faith in. He didn't put his faith in his own capabilities. Abram didn't put his faith in what he already had accomplished, which was a lot, right? If you and I put our faith in our own capabilities, man, we're all in trouble. He simply believed in God. He said, I get it. I trust you. I don't see how this is going to work. I'm old, but I'm just going to trust you. I have faith, God. I surrender, right? This is the landmark verse where that faith is what led Abram to be credited as what? Righteous. Not because he was a good guy or did awesome things. He was counted as righteous. Why? Because he simply put his faith in God. This passage, that moment in our history um, points us straight to the gospel that you and I place our faith in today. Matter of fact, um, Paul in the New Testament will, will use this moment over and over again, right? In Ephesians chapter 2, 8 um, through 10, it says that we are saved by grace through faith, and it's not of your own doing so that no one can boast that this gift of God is that you can be saved simply through faith. Not because you're awesome, not because you go to church or know a ton of Bible verses or know the right songs or know when to stand up and then sit down in a service. None of that. All those things are good. But this points us to the fact that we're only saved through faith. The Bible didn't say because Abram was obedient, he was counted as righteous. It said he believed. So this moment, right, is a landmark. And, and three different times, um, Paul and James, and um, they, they use this moment. So what I want you to do is turn to Romans chapter 4. Go to find yourself to Romans chapter 4. Because now what I want you to see is like this moment in history, what does it mean for us today? What well, has two big implications for us today? So Romans chapter 4, turn, turn there. Paul is writing this letter to the believers in Rome to help them understand this landmark to help them understand that this important principle, if you don't get this principle, just like Lucy and I getting lost on trail, you can get lost in what faith actually means. So Romans chapter four, starting in verse nine through 10. This is what Paul says. Is this blessing only for the circumcised or is it also for the uncircumcised? For we say faith was credited to Abraham for righteousness. In what way then was it credited? For while he, was, while he was circumcised or uncircumcised? It was not while he was circumcised, but uncircumcised. Now pause. If you don't know what circumcision is, great. Here's what we're going to do. Next week, um, Pastor David and Daryl, um, our senior adult minister, they're preaching on circumcision, okay? And so um, it's going to be great, all right? I don't miss it. Um, so here's what I want you to do. Start thinking of your detailed questions that you have about circumcision. Write them on a piece of paper and then bring them next week after service. Hand those to them, all right? And, and, and ask awkward questions, okay? So circumcision, there's that. I'll make it real simple for this point. Um, Paul's talking about law, right? Religious and, um, religion and law. 
right? They'll get into it next week, but for, simp- like for simplicity's sake, Paul's saying, did Paul, or did, did Abram, was he counted righteous because he was following the law? And the answer is no. No. This, this, this moment happened, this landmark moment happened before all that took place. Before law was there, God just said, hey, Abram, go and believe me. And he says, okay, I'm in. Simply was saved by his faith. Not by works, but by his faith. Matter of fact, Paul goes on to say something super powerful. Look at verse Romans 4, just go down to verse 20. This is what Paul says about Abram, about this landmark moment. He says, he did not waver in unbelief at God's promise, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God because he was fully convinced that what God had promised, he was able to do. Therefore, it was credited to him for righteousness. Now, it was credited to him was not written for Abraham alone, but also for who? Us. It will be credited to us who believe in him who raised Jesus, our Lord, from the dead. Chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus. We have also obtained access through him by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, we rejoice in our afflictions because we know that afflictions produce endurance. Endurance produces proven character. Proven character produces hope. And this hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has given to us. Go down to verse eight. God proves his love for us. And while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Let that sink in for a moment. Because what this landmark moment is doing is pushing us to our hope in the gospel. That everything that God was doing and promising to Abraham, yes, it was a blessing for him. That his name would be great. That that he would have the land. That he would have a kid and have uh, this awesome lineage. It was a great promise and a blessing to Abram. But God's bigger picture is bigger than Abram. The bigger picture here is that God would move through Abram and his wife to bring them a child, to start a nation, to start a lineage that one day Jesus would be born into, would walk on this earth, fully God, fully man, live a perfect life, die as our sacrifice on the cross, be raised from the dead so that you and I can place our faith in him and be saved from our sin. The bigger picture of what God is doing is the gospel in which saves us today. That we would simply believe in Jesus Christ as our God, as our Lord, as our Savior. This is the bigger picture of what God is trying to do, this landmark moment. We are saved by faith and faith alone. It's, all, it's been that way forever. It's that way right now, and it will stay that way. You cannot earn salvation by being good, by being moral, by giving money, by showing up to church, by reading your Bible. All those things are great things. They have zero power to save your soul. Only Jesus, God in the flesh, can do that. This landmark moment is pushing us. And listen, most of us, we, we, we believe that, right? That's, some of us have no problem saying, I believe that. 
But Donnie, the problem isn't that for my, I, I, I have faith for my salvation, but it's hard to live in that faith. I get it, right? Because there's tension with our flesh and tension with reality and what we see and tension with having faith that doesn't really have sight most of the time. And so there's another person in the Bible, James, who, who uses this landmark moment to kind of paint what faith should look like in the believer's life. Look at James chapter two. I, I have it on the screen for you. James says this about this landmark moment. He says, you senseless person, right? That's aggressive, right? I chill, bro, right? You senseless person. Are you willing to learn that faith without works is useless? Wasn't Abraham, our father, justified by works and offering Isaac, his son, on the altar? You see that faith was active together with his works and by works, faith was made complete. And the scripture was fulfilled saying, Abram believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. Verse 24, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Here's what James is offering and what he's presenting. That real authentic faith, a faith that is genuine, is a faith that works. It produces something. A, a, a faith that, like James and Paul, they never argue, they never mix or confuse that we're saved by faith and faith alone. James isn't saying that you have to work to get that salvation. What James is, is saying alongside of Paul and alongside what happened in Abram's life is that when you are saved by faith, you better do something with that faith. That's the whole bigger picture here. Matter of fact, God didn't come here to, Jesus didn't come in the flesh, die the gruesome death that he died, buried and then rise again, give you salvation so that you sit down on your faith and do nothing with it. That's not the gospel. The bigger picture is that Jesus came to you to save you and then put you to work for the bigger mission of God. What is that bigger mission? Just like Abram building the altar in the land of Canaan, it's to proclaim the name of the Lord. To walk in that faith, proclaiming the name of the Lord. Abram was saved by faith alone, but he had a type of faith that was not alone, but that works were proving that he was saved. If you're with me, say I'm with you. Now the tension is this, right? Okay, I get it, I'm saved by faith, and my faith needs to be working. What about those moments where it's hard to have it? What do I do there? We're running out of time, but in Genesis 16, the next chapter, we see that tension take place in Abram and Sarah's life. Here's the tension that we face that we have to figure out. The tension between trusting God in every area of my life and then this circumstance happening and me wanting, having the urge to take matters into my own hands. What do I do in that situation? Let me summarize what happens next in chapter 16. You're gonna go over in your small groups, but in chapter 16, um, Abraham's wife, Sarah, she, she's getting impatient, right? Every promise that God made Abram was also a promise to her, right? She's the one that has to have the baby, right? So in her heart for 10 years at this point, 10 years have gone by and she sees the land, she sees her husband's name is all over the place and yet she looks down, no baby. And so the tension begins. 
I, I, I want to have faith in God. I want to trust him, but I, I just want to make this happen. And so she does that. She takes matters into her own hands. Here's what happens. She goes to Abram and says, listen, I have a servant. Her name is Hagar. I'm going to marry her to you. You're going to sleep with her. She's going to get pregnant. And then her baby is going to be my baby. Right? That sounds crazy. In that time, that happened quite a bit. And, and what, what do we see? Abram, his faith all, falters a little bit, and he agrees. He says, all right, you do it. So that's what happens. Hagar, the servant, gets joined up with Abram. They lay together. She gets pregnant, has a baby. And the moment, the Bible says, the moment that, that Sarah sees this take place, her heart was full of contempt. She became bitter. She became angry. She began to mistreat Hagar, which she didn't deserve any of this. She didn't sign up for any of that. And then she goes to her husband and says, may God judge between me and you for what we just did. Listen to me, there's this tension that we have to get to the point where, where we have, we have the, the, the option of placing our faith in God and just waiting or trying to take matters into our own hands. The, the, that, 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 that urge, that fight is a struggle. But listen, the Bible is very clear Right where, where he's, the Bible says in Proverbs 3, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not rely on your own understandings. In all your ways, know him and he will make your path straight. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. This will be healing for your body, strength for your bones. This is the design for our faith that when we find those tense moments of not, not wanting to trust or wanting to take matters in our own hands, we just run to God and we say, God, I can't figure this out. Help me, I'm struggling, I'm done with the mask, I'm laying it all down. God, please show me, speak to me, remind me of who you are, remind me of your promises so that I can trust you fully. Instead, well, what do we do? We get so um, um, impatient, so restless, right? Some of you are, you're in a season of singleness and you're getting tired of waiting, so what do we do? Rather than trusting and waiting on the Lord, we just jump into the dating pools and, and cling ourselves to whoever says yes first. Or some of you, you're, you're tired of this place that you are in your career, and so you want to progress, and you're like, man, why is everybody else getting promoted? Why is everybody else getting a raise? When, why am I not? Rather than just trusting and waiting on the Lord and just working hard, you cut corners, edges, you, you tear people down to get what you want. Young adults, college students, and pretty much everyone in the room, sometimes we get so worried about the future, and we forget that we have a God who knows it. So rather than just seeking him daily on our knees, God, what do you have planned? What should I do? I'm not going to take a step until you tell me to move. What do we do? Oh, well, I think this is the best option. And we just go. We trust in our own foolish wisdom. And I don't know about you. I've, maybe you're like me, right? Where I've taken matters into my own hand, become my own mini God, did what I thought was best, got there and realized that was the worst decision I've ever made. And now God has to fix everything. Anybody else been there? All right, some of you still wearing your mask. Take it off. <laughs> Why don't we trust the Lord, not just with our soul and eternity, but with our love life, with our family, with our children, with our careers, with our friendships, with our, our fears and doubts and struggles, if we can trust him with our soul, that we're saved by faith, family, listen, you can trust him with your life and every circumstance that's taking place. 
if you're with me, say I'm with you. Listen, I get it. Faith is hard. It's, it's, it's the hardest thing that you'll ever have. But when you place that in the right place, it's so sweet. Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday. To find more information about service times, location, and ministry offerings, visit mysecond.family. Thank you for listening.